The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh God, a refuge and strength, true source of all godliness, graciously hear the devout prayers of your church and grant that those things which we ask faithfully we may obtain effectually through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Second Chronicles. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as prescribed. So, so couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princess, princes as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We do give praise to you, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge um, your presence with us, Lord. How thankful we are um, to hear those words that you are with us always. So we welcome your presence. We pray that you would lead us, open our eyes uh, to see you, um, to, to see a reality in you. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. You can be seated. In Psalm 73, the psalmist uh, begins the psalm by acknowledging his struggle, um, his spiritual struggle, um, in looking at um, the way of the, the wicked uh, prosper, looking at what seems to be the lack of judgment, actually, and the good things that happen to those who do wrong. So the psalm begins by saying, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so the first half of the psalm, again, is the psalmist wrestling with this and sharing very honestly about his own spiritual struggle, right? How can I trust in God when God says he will judge the wicked and yet the wicked seem to prosper and do well? And it's a significant struggle. He says, right, I, I almost gave up in my faith. But then when you get to the middle of the psalm, he says this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I can't get my mind around understanding the lack of justice. But then, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
So it's as he comes into worship, as he comes into the sanctuary, as he sets his eyes on the Lord, that he sees the bigger picture. He gets an eternal perspective on things. He remembers, right? He experiences God will bring right. God will bring judgment. God will bring justice. God is a God of goodness and righteousness. But it takes coming into the sanctuary for him to be rooted again in that truth of who God is and how God is working. And so the psalm ends in, but the psalm is saying, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. I believe this psalm, right, captures well what we're getting at in the value that Church of the Cross has on sacramental worship. In that value, we are saying that there is a powerful way in which we meet God, in which we experience God, in which we see God at work as we come together in the sanctuary and worship him together. So we're in a series looking at our um, values as a church. As I said last week, as we think about our mission as a church, to be a place where people encounter Christ or changed by Christ and introduce Christ to others, that we cannot fulfill that mission if we're not honoring the values that I believe the Lord has called us to as a church. And so looking at these values is about our mission. It's about who God has called us to be as a community. But also, as I said last week, I believe, right, these values are not just for us as a community, They're for us as individuals, and I believe, we hope, they apply to all disciples of Jesus. So whether you're a part of this church or whether you're a guest with us today, we believe these values come from the scriptures and apply to what does it mean to live as a follower of Christ. Again, our value today is sacramental worship. Uh, What do we mean by that? Well, let me read. There's a description actually we have on our website of of our values. I encourage you to to look at that uh, page on the website. Here's what it says about sacramental worship. We say, when we gather consistently together... For services of word and sacrament, we experience in a unique and powerful way Christ's renewing presence, which transforms the way we live, the way we think, and the way we view ourselves and the world. So in talking about sacramental worship, we're saying there's something powerful. There's a way in which God meets us as we gather together in this service of word and sacrament that's transformative, that he ministers his grace and his truth to us. Okay, why the term sacramental worship? Why do we use that term to speak of the importance of corporate incarnational worship? Well, it's good to uh, remember or perhaps share uh, for the first time how we define sacraments, right? Some of you may have heard um, this definition that, again, we affirm in the Anglican Church and many traditions affirm this, that the sacraments are outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual grace given by Christ as sure and certain means by which we receive that grace. And so we are affirming, again, the sacraments are outward, visible signs. So in the sacrament of baptism, that's water. In the sacrament of communion, that's bread, that's wine. Of inward and spiritual grace, given as a means by which we receive that grace. And so we're affirming their means of grace, instituted by Christ. And so that definition of sacrament applies to the two gospel sacraments, as we call them our tradition, communion and baptism, right? Instituted directly by Christ. We heard the institution of baptism in the gospel reading, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We heard the words of institution for communion in the first Corinthians reading, do this in remembrance of me. That those are things we do in obedience to Christ and therefore all Christians. And again, we would affirm that they are means of grace that God ministers um, through them as we obey the Lord's commandment to celebrate those sacraments. And so in one sense, we talk about sacramental worship, we're affirming these are times where we come together and we celebrate communion, and on certain Sundays, we celebrate baptism. But there's also a sacramental reality um, that we speak of, 
There are two gospel sacraments instituted by Christ, but we also see throughout the scriptures that there's a reality that the physical, outward things that we do, um, God can minister through those. God does minister to, through those to bring an inward and spiritual grace. So in many ways, we can say there are many means of grace that we experience that are connected to our physical actions and what we do physically. So one example of this, one that's perhaps especially poignant as we pray for the people of Israel, as we pray for peace in the Middle East, and as we pray against right, violence and attacks, um, a moment um, in Exodus 17 where the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and going towards the promised land, and they're engaged in a battle if you remember that, and it's a battle, and Joshua is leading the battle, and Moses is praying for uh, the people of, of Israel. And when he lifts his hands and prays for them, they are winning the battle. But when he gets tired and he lowers his hands, they begin to lose the battle, right? And it's so important that he keeps his hands raised, that if you remember, Aaron and Hur come alongside him and hold up his hands so that they'll win the battle. And we can read that, and we can say, why would it make any difference? I mean, clearly God is fighting for them. God is helping them. Why would he only help them when Moses' arms are up in the air, right? It's, it can seem kind of strange, right? Why would it matter that his arms are down? But it does matter. Now, we can say, is God teaching them about the importance of prayer? Is he teaching them the importance of Moses' leadership? Is he teaching them the importance of, you know, coming alongside leaders and helping them out and holding their arms up? Yes, I think he's doing all those things. But he's doing it through ministering, through a physical action that brings about, again, a spiritual grace and a spiritual help. And so we experience that in our worship services. And again, we, we see this in the scriptures, right? And so just now when we prayed for the children, I said, if you'd like to, you can stretch out your hands. And maybe we say, well, why do we do that? Because we see in the scriptures, right? Hands being stretched out for blessing. Hands being, you know, raised in, in worship, right? That, those physical actions matter. If you go to a prayer minister, which I encourage you to do, right? And you ask for prayer, right? The prayer minister may say, hey, can I just lay my hand on your shoulder as I pray for you? Or can I anoint you with oil as I pray for healing for you, as I pray for empowerment for you? Those are physical actions, again, that we see in Scripture that we believe are means of grace. And just gathering together in person, right, coming together in this place, right, matters, right? I mean, we do a, a, a live stream, right? We started that during um, COVID because we want people to be able to continue to participate. And the live stream is there for when you can't be here in person, right? When you're not able to make it or for people who are checking us out and want to figure out who we are. But we've always tried to be very clear, right? That's only a, a you know, sort of a, a backup, right? When you need it. The important thing is gathering together, whether it's here and other places, to be in person together, that that matters, right? We worship a Lord who came in the flesh and dwelt among us, right? And still inhabits a body as he ascended into heaven and rules from on high. And so those physical things matter. So we're affirming that as we affirm, right, the value of sacramental worship. And so I want to consider this. I want to consider how does God work in our midst? What do we experience as we gather together uniquely? Now, again, Want to be clear, right? As we talk about sacramental worship, we're not saying this is the only place we worship, right? Matter of fact, we are called to lives of worship, and we want to affirm that, right? In our work, in our relationships, right? In our waking up in the morning, our going to bed at night, we are called to worship the Lord and to honor Him, right? And certainly what we say about this time of worship applies to our lives of worship, right? What we do with our bodies, what we do physically matters, and God ministers through that. So we want to affirm that. We want to affirm that there are many ways that the church lives out its identity, not just on Sunday morning, right, for an hour and a half service, right, but throughout the week and all the different ways we gather and serve one another as a community. But we are saying there's something unique and powerful 
that comes in the service of, worship, of word and sacrament that we are considering. So how does God work? First, he, he, we experience oneness as we gather together, captured so powerfully in the song that we just sang, the way we experience oneness. And if you look at our First Corinthians passage, we see the ways in which they were not living out that oneness. So we actually see in the correction that Paul gives how important living into the oneness is, right? We are one body, right? We are unified. That's a spiritual reality, but at times we don't live that way. And when we're not living that way, that's a problem. I don't know if you could tell this in the First Corinthians reading, but he's not happy with them, right? He repeats it over and over again. I do not commend you, right? What is going on there? Well, as best as we can tell, based on what Paul says and based on what we know about society at that time and some of the realities, right, of first century um, Corinth, even from archaeology, we get a sense of what was happening there, is that the church actually, which is a wonderful thing, actually had folks in it who had a lot of um, financial means, who were wealthy, and those who had very little wealth, right, those who were sort of the lowest sort of, um, you know, according to the rules of that time, sort of the lowest on the social structure, the Corinth had them all at this church, which again is a, is a great thing. But those social structures and actually the social boundaries that were harmful um, and not good were creeping into the church. So again, what seems to be happening is they would gather together for a meal, and part of that meal was meant to be the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Maybe that happened at the end, but somehow that was the way that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. They were celebrating communion. But in their gathering together, the social structures were coming in. And so probably the gatherings were hosted at a wealthier member of the church because they had a big enough house to host everybody. Right? But usually what would happen, and probably what was happening here, is certain members, right, the highest level of society, would sit in one room. Right? They'd have all the good food. Right? They'd have the best food. And then there'd be another space for those lower in the social structure where they would have kind of the scraps and, the, and you know, the, you know, less food. I mean, this was a reality. We know this is what happened in society at that time. Right? You can see it again even in the way homes were built. Right? Also, many people wonder, and it seems to be a case, that there were those who, again, had more financial resources, who didn't have to work, who could gather for a long period of time and eat so much that some were even getting drunk, whereas others would come in at the end of a work day, right, and there wouldn't be anything left for them. And so, again, Paul's, like, so upset, right? Like, wait a second, people are coming into communion and there's nothing for them, right? And some of you have ate so much and got, drank so much that you're drunk and others don't get anything? He's appalled. And so when he says, this is not the Lord's Supper, he's not saying your intention is not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That was their intention. He's saying, this isn't the Lord's Supper. This in no way honors what the Lord instituted. Or isn't it striking? He says, do you despise the church of God? He's saying in treating, right, one another, you know, with, you know, you know contempt, right, with not honoring one another, you're not honoring the church. You're not being true to who you are, who God has called you to be, who God has made you, who Christ has, has made you. And so it's not just that you're despising one another. You're, not just, you're despising who, who your own identity is as one body. And so again, as we gather together, there is a unity. There is a oneness we're experiencing, and that's powerful. I went to a concert uh, recently with my daughter, and I was struck at this concert. I love concerts and love live music. And at this concert, I was just struck again how in a gathering like that, there is a sense of unity. I mean, this was a big concert. It was outside, 
right? But there is sort of the fun of going to a concert or going to other events like that is you feel a unity with one another, right? You know, you wear t-shirts of different bands, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, I like that band too. And, you know, and this concert actually had really young to old people like myself there, and that was fun. And, you know, then the band comes out and everyone screams and then everyone sings along. I was just struck, like, man, there's a lot of unity we're experiencing here, right? We all paid a lot of money to see this concert when we could have just watched the concert on TV, right? We clearly have a value here that we share. And I think that's part of the joy of experiencing things like that, is there is a genuine unity that's experienced. There's a genuine type of oneness that's experienced that I think can be really powerful and joyful, right? And you feel it at a concert and different events like that. But I'm struck as we gather together, it's not just that we have a shared love, although we do, First and foremost, a shared love for Jesus, right? But a shared love for the music that we sing and for this place that we can gather in and for one another. That's so powerful, right? And that's part of what binds us together. But even more importantly, we are one. That's a reality, right? We, you know, we, we, again, we, we have common interests that we come together on. But first and foremost, we're one body because Christ has made us one body. But there's a spiritual reality. And again, as we come together in worship, we experience that. We're living into that reality, and that's powerful. Now, let me just put out there, right? A question we could ask is, okay, well, what about those who come into our midst, which we hope is the case, who aren't sure if they believe in Christ, who are coming actually discerning, do I believe this, wondering if they believe this? What about those who are going through significant spiritual struggles and are continuing to come to church but are really wondering, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. Maybe they're a little bit like the psalmist. Maybe you are. A bit of the psalm was coming in saying, I'm not even sure if I believe this, right? We want to be a church, and we have hopefully been clear about that, where people feel very free to come in who don't believe what we believe, who can come in and learn and understand what we believe, right? Is that right in light of this call to oneness? Well, what's interesting is in the book of 1 Corinthians, actually, where Paul puts so much emphasis on one body and the importance of our oneness, we also have a, a moment where he's talking about spiritual gifts later in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, where he actually says to them, to the Corinthians, and thinking about spiritual gifts, he says, what if an unbeliever comes into your midst? What will they experience? Will they, in the way that the spiritual gifts be manifested, experience the power of God and come to faith in God, or will they be alienated? Right? I hear in that Paul saying, we want unbelievers to come in. Right? We want them to be welcomed in the community. We want them to experience God. Right? But we're inviting them into a worship experience. Right? But again, one that's open, where people can come and decide where people can see the oneness. There's proclamation, which I'll say more about in just a second as we gather. But there is actually a place, and you experience this if you've been to our worship service, if you're a regular here, right, come before, there's a place where we say, this is for Christians only, right? When we um, introduce right, the coming forward for communion, we do say this is for those who have been baptized and committed their life to Christ, right? Baptism, right? Because we believe there's an order to the sacraments, right? Baptism is the sacrament of coming into the community. Eucharist is the sacrament of receiving and being part of the community. And so that is a place we say, this is for Christians only. And that applies actually to the second thing we can say, right? As we gather together, we experience oneness. We also experience participation. Participation, again, with one another, fellowship with one another, but participation in Christ, that there's a spiritual reality of, of participating in the life and the death right, of Christ that is powerful and the saving power of Jesus. And so after correcting them, getting back to our first Corinthians reading, Paul then reminds them, this is what I received from the Lord. This is what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
right? And he, again, recalls the words of institution which Jesus gave, right, at the Lord's Supper, right, as he instituted the Lord's Supper. And so he's calling them to remembrance, right? This is a service of remembrance, remembering what Christ has done for you. But I believe in his words to the Corinthians, we also see there's more to remembrance here. Remembrance is really important, right? Because we're forgetful. We easily forget. So we need to remember regularly. But again, we also see there's a spiritual dynamic. It's not just that we're remembering, right, mentally. There's actually an entering into the, the death of Christ and the saving power of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus as we receive communion together. And we see that spiritual dynamic there in that um, verses 27 through um, 32 as he talks about what's happening as we receive. And again, he's concerned, right? The spiritual dynamics actually leading to judgment. And so verse um, 29, a, a, a great debated verse um, in 1 Corinthians, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And the question comes up, what does that mean without discerning the body? Right? And some would say, well, I mean, the way body is used earlier in this passage is to speak of the body of Christ, of um, Jesus saying, this is my body. And so some would say discerning the body means recognizing that as we receive communion, we're receiving the very body of Christ. We're receiving the presence of Jesus. In the Anglican tradition, we would not um, uh, affirm transubstantiation. I'm getting a little theological here, but uh, it's a question that people have a lot, that we would not say that there's actually a, a physical transformation of the bread um, and wine into the physical body and blood of Christ. But we would say we receive the very presence of Jesus as we receive communion, as a means of grace, as a way that the Lord ministers to us. And I believe that's what he's speaking of. When we have to discern the body, we discern the spiritual reality. Now, others would say, no, no, discerning the body is about discerning the reality that we are the body of Christ. Actually, if we go back um, to chapter 10 um, uh, in 1 Corinthians, right, we have um, some important uh, verses um, there that speak to this. Right, because in chapter 10, um, he says, uh, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so he speaks of, as we receive the bread and the wine, we are participating in Christ. The word for participation is actually koinonia. It's a, a Greek word that many people have heard because we use at times to speak about the importance of community, the importance of fellowship, right? It's participation, again, in this time of worship together, we participate with one another, but we are participating in Christ. We have koinonia, we have fellowship, communal fellowship with Jesus. So there's a participation there. And he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So again, we can see clearly being one body is clear. And so discerning the body, yes, I believe is about discerning that we are one body, but it's asserting we are one body who are receiving together and participating together in Christ. And so if you follow me, basically I'm saying, I think it means both. I like to do that. When people disagree about passages in Scripture, I'm like, can we just say both, right? <laughs> but it's not just because I don't like conflict and want to just, you know, make everyone happy. Um, it's because I actually believe, right, in the context of 1 Corinthians, there's an incredible importance on us being one body, and there's an incredible importance on the spiritual reality that we are actually receiving Christ. And we are participating, again, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So much so, right, that he would say, if you are not honoring what's happening here, which you are not doing, there's actually, you're actually drinking judgment upon yourself. But that's the reality of that spiritual, you know, um, dynamic that is happening there. 
right? And that's, I realize, a hard passage for some, and it makes people nervous about taking communion. I don't believe it's there to make us nervous. It's there to acknowledge this is sacred. We're actually participating in Christ. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege, right? That should fill us full of joy. It should fill us full of expectation, right, to come to the table, Right, I've had members over the years, right, people in our church say to me, I love a communion watching children come forward, right, because that's teaching me how I should come forward, right, with joy and with excitement, with expectation, right? I get to come to the table. I get to receive Christ, to receive his very presence at the table. So we can be sober-minded, right? We can examine ourselves, which we're called to do, but we can also do so with a great sense of joy and expectation. Finally, right, we experience proclamation, Right, just briefly, right? I just think it's so important that he says, right? As we drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again, right? So this is a time of proclamation, not just in what we sing, although we're proclaiming God's truth in the words we sing, not just in the readings, not just in the, the sermon, right? In receiving communion, we are proclaiming, right? That is a way that we introduce others to Christ, as our mission statement says. They're receiving communion together through living in our oneness, through participating in Christ, in the body and blood of Christ. Now, maybe it's a little heavy-handed to have on a, a Sunday when we're talking about the importance of worshiping together and gathering together, um, to have a reading that says, um, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, right? But come to the sanctuary which he has consecrated forever and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. I'm not, in including that reading, wanting to shame you, right? For the Sundays you don't come to church, I don't, I'm not saying you're stiff-necked or your fathers are, um, uh, but... Again, we hear in that an urgency, right? Hezekiah, right, is calling the people to turn to the Lord. He's calling the people to repentance, but he's saying, here's how you turn to the Lord. Here's how you repent. Come to the sanctuary. Physically coming and gathering together is sacred and important, right? There's an urgency there. So I hope you hear that in that invitation. Yes, examine ourselves. Yes, be serious about your sin. Come with a spirit of repentance but also come to receive the Lord who is gracious and good and pours out his grace upon you. I want to close in praying for us, but in particular, I want to pray for protection uh, in our, our coming together and for strength. And again, our coming together is a participation. It's a proclamation, right? It's a celebration of oneness. And the fact is, right, often it's a battle. Uh, we are engaging in spiritual warfare as we come together. And the fact is we have an enemy who wants us to be isolated, who wants us to be divided, right? who wants us um, to be afraid. And so at times we experience resistance, right? Again, my hope is be, we have the attitude of we get to come together, right? We get to worship together. But at times, right, we feel that resistance. I don't think it's a, a mystery, right? Why so often Sunday mornings can be a time of strife, right, in families. So it can be so difficult. And again, I don't want to over-spiritualize, but the fact of the matter is coming together is powerful, and God meets us in a powerful way when we meet together. We shouldn't be surprised if we experience spiritual resistance in coming. And we shouldn't be surprised, right, that this time together is actually a time, again, of spiritual warfare, of standing in the light and affirming and proclaiming and coming against the darkness. So let's pray for that. Lord, I do pray as we consider, again, these times of worship, and not just for us, Lord. We pray this for all your church. We pray this for all your people who meet together and celebrate your word and receive your sacraments, that you would strengthen us and you would come against the forces of darkness, come against the, the power of Satan, who would want to keep us away, who would want to keep us divided. 
Lord, we thank you that you have made us one. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that on the night before you died, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one that the world may know. So it is our hope that the world may know that you would use us uh, to proclaim and to make you known. Again, come, Spirit of God, we pray, and we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.